KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Thursday, October 6. CBP is increasingly leaving California with the bill for border wall injuries. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. An Oceanside man pleaded guilty yesterday to threatening to kill Senator Chuck Schumer in a voicemail message. The profane message was left on the voicemail for Schumer's Washington, D.C. office earlier this year. Jonathan Ryan McGuire is expected to be sentenced in January and faces up to five years in prison. An affidavit from an FBI agent also alleges that between 2019 and 2021, U.S. Capitol Police have documented numerous threats by McGuire to various members of Congress and a Capitol Police officer. For the first time in 12 years, San Diego County has a new top crop. The category of bedding plants, color, and perennials, cacti, and succulents surpassed the ornamental trees and shrubs category in the 2021 crop report. The report was released yesterday and also found that the county's agricultural value decreased to $1.7 billion in 2021. That's about 3% less than the previous year. Avocados are one of San Diego's staple crops. But last year was the first time their value was less than $100 million since the crop report started in 1996. Kay Barry Sharpless from Scripps Research in La Jolla has won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry for the development of a technique called click chemistry. He won the award along with two other researchers. Sharpless coined the concept of click chemistry around 2000. It's a form of simple and reliable chemistry that results in reactions that occur quickly and efficiently. It's the second time Sharpless has won a Nobel Prize. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Maracal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, Maracal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. The number of migrants hospitalized after falling from the border wall is at a record high. But who picks up the bill when they leave the hospital? It used to be Customs and Border Protection. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis followed the money and found that it's increasingly not the case. Former President Donald Trump didn't deliver on his 2016 campaign promise to build a new wall covering the entirety of the U.S.-Mexico border. But his administration did succeed in doubling the height of some of the existing portions of the border wall. And though there's little evidence that the higher wall actually slowed illegal border crossings, it has caused a big spike in serious injuries to people who've fallen off the 30-foot wall. UCSD Health received 270 border fall patients last year, 200 more than it did in 2019 when the wall was at a lower height. Dr. J. Doucette is head of UCSD's trauma unit. He says they're getting so many patients from Customs and Border Protection, or CBP, that the hospital now has a special section just for them. We had to open up another ward just to deal with the surge from from the border. Many of these patients require lengthy stays in the ICU and multiple surgeries to repair broken bones. This new reality is putting pressure on hospital resources. 
as length of stay goes up and the more surgeries that are required, uh, the more expensive things are as well. But who's responsible for picking up the bill? Well, that's where things get a little murky. CBP is responsible for the medical expenses if the patient is in their custody when they're discharged from the hospital. And that was usually the case as recently as 2019 and 2020. Data from UCSD shows that CBP paid for roughly 75% of the patients their agents brought into the hospital in 2019, and 80% of patients in 2020. But staff at the trauma unit saw a shift in 2021. Well, now we notice that they're not sticking around as much. Doucette is referring to the CBP agents. Beginning in 2021, CBP began keeping far fewer patients in custody. Instead, the agents were increasingly giving them a notice to appear in immigration court and walking away. This change in approach coincided with a new California law that expanded health benefits under the state's taxpayer-funded Medi-Cal program to undocumented immigrants. Doucette says that by releasing patients from custody, CBP is essentially handing their hospital bills over to California, which pays for them with a mix of state and federal funds. CBP's own data backs this up. In the San Diego sector, the federal agency covered the medical expenses of roughly 3,000 patients in the fiscal year 2019-2020. That number dropped to 550 during the first 10 months of the current fiscal year. Meanwhile, the average cost per patient has quadrupled from $1,500 in fiscal year 2019-2020 to $5,500 in fiscal year 2020-2021. CBP officials would not comment specifically on the reason behind their new approach, Instead, they issued a statement confirming that patients who are not kept in custody receive a notice to appear in immigration court. Meanwhile, the practice is drawing criticism from both sides of the immigration debate. Hans von Spakovsky is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, a conservative think tank. He's an outspoken critic of CBP's so-called catch-and-release policy, where Border Patrol agents apprehend migrants who cross the border illegally and then let them go with little more than a notice to appear in court. So in essence, they are saying, we're going to release you into the country and we're just not going to uh, worry about you anymore. Von Spakovsky says that there's a significant risk that migrants will simply not show up to their immigration court hearings and continue to live in the country with no legal status. Pedro Rios is an immigrant rights activist with American Friends Service Committee. He says the taller wall was built specifically to injure people and deter others from crossing illegally. The fact that CBP is not paying for many of the patients is a sign that the federal government is not taking responsibility for the consequences of extending the border wall. In fact, they're leaving the rest of San Diego County, the rest of California, to pay for the injuries that are caused as a result of poorly thought through enforcement uh, plans such as the border wall that is causing these injuries. Von Spakovsky views this as a much larger trend in which local communities end up paying for the federal government's border policies. There are numerous studies that have been done on the cost of this kind of illegal immigration. And, and all of those studies show that uh, the vast majority of these costs are paid by local governments, not the federal government. He blames this on what he considers the Biden administration's lax enforcement policies. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. San Diego residents hope the region's air quality regulators help them control odors coming from a green fuel plant in Barrio Logan. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson has details. Barrio Logan residents are gathering signatures in an attempt to force New Leaf Biodiesel to control the strong odors coming from their Newton Avenue plant. The company turns cooking oil into green diesel fuel. 
The Environmental Health Coalition's Nicholas Paul says the smell is so bad that it forces people to stay locked up in their homes. 22 senior residents with an average age of 75 years old um, are, are experiencing and living in, in a situation where they can't open their windows. New Leaf Biofuels officials say they're working with regulators to fix the problem. Barrio Logan is a neighborhood that has long struggled with environmental justice issues. It's also one of the few city neighborhoods where industry and housing are so close together. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Oceanside has a new clinic offering mental health care for active duty service members, veterans, and their families. The Stephen A. Cohen Military Family Clinic opened its doors on Wednesday. Its purpose is to meet the increasing mental health needs of the military community. Marine Corps Colonel Daniel M. Whitley says that investment is vital. Having access to high quality and timely care, specifically mental health care, is critical for what we do for the nation. And I'll tell you, not just for the service members, uh, but also for their families. Clinic founders chose Oceanside because of its proximity to Camp Pendleton and the impact 9-11 left on the community. The Oceanside site is the second Cohen Clinic in California. There's one in Mission Valley. A third location is set to open in Los Angeles by the end of the year. Dr. Anthony Hassan is the president of Cohen Veterans Network. His organization's mission is to reduce veteran suicides and increase care for service members. Many of our families can't afford to pay two and three hundred dollars a session. So they can come here. They can come right here to this clinic and get care with no barriers. If you can't afford it, fine. If you can't afford your copayment and deductible, we'll figure something out. The clinic will offer therapy for a variety of mental health challenges, including PTSD, grief and family issues. Coming up, a new museum and cultural center is opening in Chicano Park this weekend. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers, whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. Even shift workers who may be active at all hours are best off when they eat only within a 10-hour window. KPBS science and technology reporter Thomas Fudge has more on a study of San Diego firefighters done by UCSD and the Salk Institute. San Diego Battalion Chief David Picconi has been a firefighter for 25 years, and he said if you believe that people who work at all hours should eat at all hours, the study proved that is not true. You feel like, well, maybe I need to eat something to have more energy. And what the study showed is that it's completely opposite, that you actually get tireder and, and less healthy by eating at those odd hours. 
Time-restricted eating often means only eating within a 10-hour window each day, and that's what 137 San Diego firefighters did. It led to reductions in both blood pressure and blood sugar levels. Study co-author and UC San Diego medical professor Pam Taub said restricted eating also reduced a bad cholesterol called VLDL. Shift work isn't going away. It's a really important part of society, and so we need to come up with better strategies to optimize the health of our shift workers, such as time-restricted eating. Chief Bacconi said for now he hopes they are getting out the word to the firefighting community that this is something that can help. Thomas Fudge, KPBS News. The San Diego Padres are on their way to the postseason. Fans are excited the team came through, even without superstar Fernando Tatis Jr. KPBS reporter Jacob Ayer says many are hoping for a long playoff run and potential championship for a town that's had a tough time with professional sports. For the second time in the last 16 Major League Baseball seasons, the San Diego Padres are going to the playoffs. Starting Friday, they'll play a best-of-three wildcard series against the New York Mets. Ahead of the final game of the regular season, fans like Chula Vista's Nick Meraz were excited for the postseason. Honestly, it means the word to me because all my friends, we like the Padres. When we heard that they clinched and all that, like we all, like in school, we all started, ah, and it was, it was awesome to be honest, yeah. If the Padres can win two games against the Mets in New York, they'll go on to face the Los Angeles Dodgers in the best-of-five National League Division Series starting October 11th. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. After years of planning and anticipation from the community, the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center will host its grand opening this weekend. The new center represents the completion of a years-long vision after the San Diego City Council granted a 20-year lease for the property in 2018. Josie Talamontes is a historian co-founder of Chicano Park and member of the Chicano Park Steering Committee. She joined KPBS's Jade Heinemann with more on the museum's opening. When you last spoke on the show, the lease for this property had just been granted. Uh, what's it like to see the vision for this center finally come to fruition? Oh, it's wonderful. We're still working through a lot of details. And yes, it is a grand opening, but in many ways, it's somewhat its somewhat of a of soft opening, if you will. We still have much to go. We're still working on the facade and of the building. So we think by next year, we'll look even more beautiful than we currently look. But we're very, very excited. The board is just tickled pink, ready to open, ready to bring in the community and welcome them. Mm. And going back to 2018, the city council vote to grant the lease for this museum was unanimously in favor. Do you feel like the city as a whole is behind efforts to commemorate the history and culture of Chicano Park and Barrio Logan? I believe so. We've been working very closely with our city councilwoman, Vivian Moreno. She's been very supportive. I'm on the advisory board to Mayor Todd Gloria. He's been very supportive. Sean Ilo Rivera has been very supportive. Raul Campila. All of them have been very, very supportive of this effort, and we're looking forward to the opening. What does this museum mean for the residents of Barrio Logan to have this museum in the community? I think it's a place where they can now 
think about where their history is being told. They can look to it for uh, learning perhaps new opportunities in the science fields as we develop that component more. Um, I would say that the exhibition space will give them opportunities to learn about our communities throughout the Southwest along the borderlines. Um, I think that um, for the most part, we're also expanding our footprint in a sense that we will be going electric within the next year and a half. We were granted an award to create a um, shuttle through Barrio Logan, Shelltown, and south some parts of Southeast Logan Heights um, with a shuttle, an electric shuttle that will work for the elders and for the youth. Um, so we're very excited. And, you know, the area is rich with history. Can you tell us a bit about how the center will highlight that, as well as, you know, the broader history of Latino culture in Barrio Logan as well? Well, I think it's important to realize Logan Heights was the oldest neighborhood in the city of San Diego. So the history is rich. We were demonized to a certain extent by the entrance of Interstate 5 and the California 75 San Diego Coronado Bay Bridge because it destroyed more than three-fourths of our community. We lost at least 15,000 residents or more through eminent domain, and we've been spread throughout the area. And prior to that, due to redlining, we were, in many ways, we were segregated to Logan Heights, so we were very close. When the disbursement happened, many community members went to the surrounding areas but have come back because this was this was home base, and they're very excited. Um, we hosted a recent uh, Primeros uh, dinner for um, those people that really stood up and supported us before we actually even had the facility, and it was just filled with love and interaction and historical stories that they were sharing with one another. So I think everybody's very very eager to open this facility. So what are some of the upcoming exhibits visitors can expect? The current exhibition is called Pillars, Stories of Resistance and Self-Determination. And that is really a target of those organizations and groups that supported uh, Chicano Park in its evolution. So there are stories of the Chicano Park Steering Committee, the Centro Cultural de la Raza, the Brown Berets, Danza Azteca, Danza Folklorica, stories of Our Lady of Guadalupe, stories of the Lowrider Council of San Diego, stories of the next generation, the Aslan Youth Brigade, stories of music in our community, stories of Union del Barrio, who is a political organization standing up for issues that pertain to our communities. So it's going to be an exciting opening. That was Chicano Park co-founder Josie Talamontes speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Heineman. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.